Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. Uh, In our last couple of programs, I was explaining to you that we were finishing up our first teaching series, our inaugural teaching series here at um, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and that series was entitled, Why Explore Bible Prophecy? And then we had a program where I went over the inductive study method for how to study the Bible, the who, what, where, when, why, and how, and how to do a proper observation of the scriptures first. That's where your real focus is. And if you can make a full, proper observation of the scriptures, literally, grammatically, and historically, then there's a very good chance you're going to make a proper interpretation of what that scripture is. And if you make a proper interpretation, then your application will probably be close to dead on. You will be you will be able to properly apply the scriptures to your life. And of course, by doing the uh, inductive study method, you'll be able to find out, does that scripture even apply to me? And we are going around applying scriptures to us individually, to us as the church, that don't apply to us at all. Remember, the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation is for us, but a lot of it is not about us because it's about Israel. So if we can make that clear distinction, and I tried to drive that point home rather uh, forcefully almost uh, in our last couple of programs as we did the review of our last teaching series on why we're even studying Bible prophecy, it was to make that distinction between uh, Israel and the church. And if we can understand that, so much becomes much more clear that today uh, the way it's being taught uh, incorrectly is is messing with people's minds, if you will, uh, giving them uh, an incorrect, certainly not a full proper perspective of God's uh, plans for mankind, God's plans for the earth, uh, because he's given us such great detail from Genesis to Revelation about what he plans to do. And he's told us emphatically in a number of places, which we've, we've shared here in this ministry, a number of places where he says, I want you to know everything that I'm going to do. In fact, I'll tell you before I do it so that you can know and you can see it be fulfilled and therefore know that I am God, that Jesus Christ is indeed my son that I have sent to you so that you might have salvation, so that we can then have a relationship. Because remember, God uh, is not on this earth right now, nor has God been on this earth, because mankind is sinful, and God is not going to dwell with sin. And once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then our salvation is is fulfilled uh, at the rapture, and that we are purified completely and perfectly, then we will be in the presence of God, but not until then. So that's it's so many wonderful truths in the Bible 
to uh, to learn about and to understand and to apply to our lives that will give us such great guidance in our lives, particularly today as we see the world is such a mess on a global scale. But that's because we have, um, I, I say we, the world has a worldly perspective, a worldly lens uh, developed by men who do not know God, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But the Bible clearly shows us that if we have a biblical view, if we view the events of the world through the lens of the Bible, so much of this makes sense to us. Not only makes sense to us, but we also have a clear perspective of what's going to happen next. And that's why I'm so excited about the uh, teaching series, Chronological Sequence of End Time Events, which will be coming up after um, our next series. And that's what I want to introduce to you right now. And that is a series entitled Important Prophecy Terms Compared and Contrasted. And I have uh, developed uh, quite a few scriptures relative to seven different sets of prophecy terms that I believe, and again, this is not exhaustive, and I uh, ask you again as a listening audience that if you can come up with another set of terms that I'm not covering here that would, uh, that I give you pause, uh, cause you to not quite understand the scriptures as you think you should, what is the meaning of this term relative to this term, I'd be glad to look at it and perhaps even incorporate it into the teaching. So please uh, send, me, uh, send me your thoughts, send me your concerns, uh, send me your questions. Uh, again, you can do that at steve at whcbradio.org, S-T-E-V-E at, at uh, whcbradio.org. So the seven that I have developed, and I I think very importantly that we should cover these before we get into those 30 prophetic events uh, that are coming up between now and and eternity at the end of Revelation, that these, uh, having this knowledge, having this scriptural basis of understanding before we get into that teaching will go a long way to uh, making it easier for you to understand the flow and where God is coming from and why he is doing what he's doing with the different people groups as we uh, go through that study. So the seven, just let me give you a quick overview here. And by the way, the the worksheet will be posted as we go through this series. will be posted on the website, and you can go to the website and then look for Exploring Bible Prophecy, and you'll find a hot link there uh, that you click on. We'll bring up this worksheet, and you can download it. And the seven points are, number one is, what the difference between the terms the Son of God and the Son of Man. And I'm particularly excited about getting into that one. That's why I've made it number one. Because if we can understand the distinction between those two, yes, it is Jesus. Both of them is, are Jesus. And yes, he is the Son of God, and yes, he is the Son of Man. But if you can understand in the Scripture that when you see the use of the term Son of God, it leads you in one direction. And when you see the term the Son of Man, it leads you in another direction. And if you can understand those two distinctions, those two directions, it will do an amazing amount of um, clearing up of any misunderstandings or clarification of scriptures for you. So the difference between the Son of God and the Son of Man. Number two is the difference between what's called the Day of Christ or the day of Jesus Christ. 
And the, the other one is the day of the Lord or the great and terrible day of the Lord. But we're simply going to call it the day of the Lord. Those are, according to the scripture, two specific different time events uh, in the prophetic uh, narrative of the Bible. And if we can understand when the day of Christ is compared to the day of the Lord, it will really clear up a lot of prophetic misunderstanding. So I've got a number of scriptures there to help us understand the difference between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. Number three is the difference between the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and the gospel of grace, or the gospel of personal salvation is what that's really about. The gospel of grace is the gospel of personal salvation. It is distinct and different from the gospel of the kingdom. And you'll see those uh, terms, you see a lot of the use of the term gospel of the kingdom, and you'll also see the gospel of grace used in the Bible, in the New Testament. Two different concepts, two different foundational understandings, two different groups of people uh, in view in God's prophetic plan, and to understand the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace will again open your eyes uh, to a better understanding of who's being uh, talked to, uh, by whom, about what. Number four is the difference between uh, two events that happened in the last week of Jesus' life. So when he rode into Jerusalem on the foal of the donkey, as had been prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before, that he would come into Jerusalem on that day as the promised Messiah King, and the people denied him. So it's interesting. They could have known if they had just properly studied the Scripture the day that he came in to offer himself, but instead they turned him over to the Romans and had him crucified. So he gave two very important talks to the apostles. The first talk was on the third day when he came into Jerusalem for his crucifixion. So it was early in that crucifixion week, and it's called the Olivet Discourse. And the reason they call it that, it was a discussion um, between Jesus and uh, four of his apostles sitting on the Mount of Olives. So that's where the term Olivet comes from. So the Olivet Discourse, understanding what Jesus talked to those apostles about is critical, absolutely critical to understanding the flow of prophetic events going forward. And then later in that same week, that same week, Jesus talked to the apostles again. This time, it was uh, 11 of the 12 apostles because this was the night uh, in which Jesus was crucified. It was the Last Supper in the upper room. And Judas, before Jesus started talking about this, Judas left the room and he went out to betray him and then to kill himself. So he's talking to the, the 11 apostles, and it's what's called the upper room discourse. And what was talked about by Jesus to those apostles is so different, so totally different from what he talked to those four apostles about on the Mount of Olives, that we need to understand the distinction between those two. And we'll go into, I'm really looking forward to talking about those two particular points because understanding, one, that there is a distinction at all, and two, what that distinction is and the depth of that distinction will really, I think, 
really open your eyes if you're not fully um, aware of what that is uh, that is all about. And then we want to talk about the difference between two battles that happened during um, the end times uh, after the church is taken out. One of those is called the Gog Magog battle, and we find that in Ezekiel. And then we also find another battle, also called Gog Magog, that we find in Revelation. And there's at least a thousand years difference between those two battles, and the people who are involved are different. It's very clear in the Bible, but for some reason, um, theologians and just people who don't properly study the Bible put those two battles together uh, and call them the one Gog-Magog battle, not knowing that there's a thousand years plus between the two. And then I've actually read where some people will say, well, the Gog-Magog battle, combining them, is the same thing as Armageddon. Well, in no way. Uh, The the Bible is so clear in the distinction between those two uh, battles, even though they're called the same, Gog-Magog battle or war, Uh, They're two distinctive things um, at two distinctly different times. So I want to focus on that as well. Then I also want to talk about uh, two major judgments that get combined or mixed up quite often. One is called the sheep and goat judgment, and that happens at a specific time to a specific group of people. And then that's uh, contrasted with the great white throne judgment, the great white throne judgment. And that, again, is an even greater judgment that happens um, a thousand years uh, different from the sheep and goat judgment. Um, And if we can understand the distinction between those two, again, as with these others, it'll it'll clear up uh, and perhaps simplify your understanding of this flow of events. Because, again, theologians uh, want to sometimes combine these two judgments, and they are not to be combined at all because they involve two different groups of people. And then finally, number seven, I want to talk about the covenant promises to national Israel. And this is something, again, as we've talked over and over again, uh, more and more theologians, frankly, more and more seminaries are teaching that these covenant promises to national Israel have been done away with, that God... Uh, broke his covenants with Israel because they wanted uh, Jesus Christ crucified. And, of course, the Romans did that for them. So, therefore, the punishment for Israel is that all of the promises God made to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and through the prophets in the Old Testament, those covenant promises are null and void. They've been done away with. Um, Or another perspective is, that those covenant promises are still in effect, but they don't apply to Israel because Israel has been replaced by the church. And that's called um, replacement theology, and that is taking on a lot of interest today uh, in the church. And, of course, the genesis of that goes all the way back to the around the 4th century. So it's been taught for a long time, but it's really taken off um, uh, in the... uh, Protestant denominations, and of course it's been embraced by the Catholic um, religion, but it's uh, more and more uh, being taught in the churches today that the church has replaced Israel. And I want to show you 
from the scriptures, that is definitely not the case, that the covenant promises that God made to Israel, to national Israel, will be fulfilled exactly as all of God's other prophecies have already been fulfilled, particularly those that we reviewed in uh, point number six, as you recall, in our last teaching ministry on why study Bible prophecy. So the covenant promises to national Israel are very important. We need to understand where they are in the Bible and what they need. And I'm going to contrast that with the covenant promises to the church, to the body of Christ, because they are different. They are not the same thing. So those are the seven points. And I just felt as I was um, concluding the um, series on why study Bible prophecy and then putting together the worksheets for the 30 um, chronological uh, end-time events, which is our next big teaching series, that uh, before we got into that very, very meaty subject, that we needed to have some key terms that we talked about. And you may recall as we go through these, we talked about several of these key points, key prophetic terms uh, in the different parts of our um, last teaching series uh, on why study Bible prophecy. So it may be uh, review for you, and there's no, there's nothing wrong with review. There's nothing wrong with repetition when it comes to studying the Bible. But uh, for those of you that may be fairly new to the program, or perhaps today's your first uh, day with us, and by the way, a special welcome to you, that uh, we want to set uh, these uh, particular points uh, in concrete, if you will, because I think they're very important points to understand about uh, what is the difference between the Son of God and the Son of Man, for instance. So what I want to do today is introduce this to you, and um, we're going to get into point number one uh, in our next program. And in preparation for doing that, and hopefully you've had a chance to look at the worksheet that's there available at the radio station, um, and we're going to look at, when we talk about the term the, and that's why I have the word the, the Son of God, why is it important that we have the Son of God? The reason for that is there are other um, entities, and I'm going to use that term entity right now because I don't want to get into the details. We'll do that tomorrow. There are other entities in the Bible that are called sons of God, and I don't know if you're aware of that or not. We have made that point uh, in different programs in our last teaching series, uh, but this may be um, the the uh, second time you've heard it, and now you're saying, "Oh, now I got a now I got a grasp of this." That there are different group, different entities that are called Son of God, and we need to understand where does Jesus Christ fit into this, and why is there why are they called sons of God? So we're going to get into all that. I'm excited about it in our next. Uh, program. But as we always do, we want to transition now over to our um, answering questions from the listening audience. And we've had um, a question over the last two programs from a listener in Abington who asked the question, do we know where Israel is taken to hide from Satan in the tribulation? And that's in Revelation 12, verse 14. Revelation 12, verse 14. So let's quickly go to Revelation 12. Revelation chapter 12, the last book of the Bible, and about uh, halfway through, a little over halfway through, there's 22 chapters in the wonderful, wonderful book of Revelation. 
And it's a, a shame that people don't take the time to teach it in church or to um, have it as a study book in um, Bible study in Sunday school because it's the only book in the Bible. I don't know if you know this or not. We've certainly talked about it here at this uh, radio ministry that this is the only book in the Bible that's written specifically to the church. And it says that if you read it and study it and heed it, there's a blessing. And not only does it say there's a blessing, but it says it at the beginning and it says it at the end of the book. So, I mean, how more, <laughs> how more emphatic uh, does God have to be through the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit and having John the Revelator write that twice, that it's a blessing if you will study this book, study this book of prophecy. Uh, so that's uh, we incorporate Revelation quite a bit, and of course that's where we are right now. Revelation 12, verse 14 uh, is the verse given from the uh, listener there in Abington, and it says in 12, 14, but the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And then, of course, we, you know, if we come into this verse cold in Revelation 12, 14, we're going, well, what is this all about? And, of course, the first thing we talked about was that great eagle with the two wings and how people are so want to say that that is the United States who is the great protector of Israel. And, of course, that's an earthly perspective. We know who the real protector is. And, of course, the eagle being the symbol of the United States and the great eagle, that this has got to be the American Air Force flying these Israelis uh, out of the clutches of Satan. And, of course, we know that that's uh, blatantly not true, that that's a horrible misunderstanding of the Scripture. And not only that, but the Scripture explains itself because we go to the Old Testament and find out that the term the wings of eagles is also used by God talking about his um, bringing Israel out of Egypt way back in you know 1450 BC when they left Egypt, that he did so miraculously, and he used the term on the wings of eagles to bring them out. And we know that this is a miraculous God thing. This has nothing to do with the United States. Um, so uh, what we did also was to look at context, and by uh, context that you, you remember from our program on how to study the Bible, we want to look at come, what comes before the verse or the passage in question, and we want to look at what comes after it so that we have a full understanding of the scope of who's being talked to about what, under what circumstances, and so forth. The old who, what, where, when, why, and how um, methodology for studying the Bible. So we went up to verses 5 and 6, where we find out that it's indeed talking about Israel, uh, because these are references back to the Old, Old Testament, where there was a, a, a dream uh, that, um, oh, my mind's gone blank right now, but there was a dream in, in um, Genesis, and it was a dream about um, Israel and about the 12 tribes. And we find out that the woman is Israel and the male child is Jesus in this particular passage. And um, it clearly tells you it's Jesus because it says in 5 that he will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And we see that in a number of places, uh, the end of Revelation chapter 2, for instance. And then it says the child was caught up to God. So that's uh, Acts chapter 1 when Jesus is taken back to heaven because it says it's taken back, he's taken back to his throne sitting at the right hand of the Father. And then it says the woman flees into the wilderness 
And this uh, takes place during the tribulation, and it says at the end of verse 6 that uh, she will be protected there for 1,260 days or um, three and a half years, which goes back to verse 14 where it says a time, times, and half a time. That's another way. It's a, a biblical phrase, if you will, for the same period of 1,260 days or three and a half years. And then we um, also, for context, we looked at 13 through 17, and we find out that this is Satan, the dragon who's introduced uh, prior to this in Revelation, uh, that has been thrown down to the earth, and he is persecuting the Jews specifically here. He's, he's persecuting the earth, but particularly he's going after the Jews. The reason he's going after the Jews, uh, as we talked about in our last series, is that if he can destroy all the Jews on the earth, then Jesus won't come back because Jesus prophesied in Matthew chapter uh, 23, verse 39, that he would not come back, that they would not see him again once he, was, once he left the earth 2,000 years ago, that the Jews and therefore the world would not see Jesus again on the earth until Israel, not anybody else, but Israel, said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the point here is that if drag, if, if uh, Satan can kill all the Jews, then he wins. He gets to keep the earth instead of being uh, punished, thrown into the pit, and ultimately destroyed, as we find out at the end of Revelation. But uh, he is persecuting the Jews in a horrible way, and this begins in the second half of tribulation, and therefore she is uh, uh, miraculously by God, protected and taken into the wilderness somewhere and protected for those three and a half years. And then we took some time at the end of our last um, program and, and trying to answer this question, why did this not take place in the first half since the tribulation is a horrible seven-year tribulation? And we went to Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, where we found out that a quarter of of the world's population, and it's approaching 8 billion people right now, so that makes for easy math. 25% of 8 is 2, so 2 billion people lose their lives or whatever's left of that population. You have to realize that there's going to be a, a, a rapture of the church that takes place before the tribulation, and we don't know how many people. I wish it was a very large number, but... <laughs> I'm afraid it's not going to be. But anyway, there's going to be a large number of people taken out, some number, by Jesus at the rapture. And then everybody else that's left is going to be counted in this number. And Revelation 6, 8 says that a quarter of them are going to be killed during the first half. Then we went to Revelation chapter 9, verse 15, and found out that a third of what was left in the first half, after the 20, let's just say 2 billion are killed, another third of what's left over will be killed again in the first half. So if you add those two together, it says that half the world's population is going to die during the first half. And you're, you're asking yourself, well, then why isn't Israel protected in that first half? That's going to be a terrible time. Well, we went to Daniel 9, so let's do that. Daniel 9, verse 27. And that's towards the end of the Old Testament there, right after Ezekiel. In Daniel 9, verse 27, it says, He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. So there's that time, times, and half a time, or 1,260 days. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. 
So basically what it's saying is the first half of the tribulation, Israel is protected. And we want to talk about that protection of Israel in the first half because it's key to understanding this. And we'll do that next time. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.